Hello everyone and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And as always, it is a blessing to be able to reach out to my congregation, who's part of this church here in Dallas, wherever you may be living, and um, to all of our Saints Network family. Um, you know, I've often thought about um, changing the name of this broadcast because it's it's Wednesday Night Live, but most of you are hearing it on archive and recording. Um, but it is live right now. You may not hear it on Wednesday night. You may hear it during the early afternoon when it's released. I'm recording it in the morning before I do a broadcast for Brazil. So I don't know what we call it. Maybe just Wednesday, uh, Wednesday Archive. <laughs> Well, whatever we call it, it's great to have you here. Um, God has been releasing so much wonderful revelation from his word to us. And every now and then, uh, as I am spending time with the Lord and I'm just plowing forward, wanting to hear more from him, wanting to recognize what, what's the next step in what we're supposed to be receiving, I feel the Spirit say, you need to tap the brakes a little bit because people need time to digest. And maybe, maybe you need time to reflect on things that are synergies of understanding things that are, um, you know, just to meditate, to see why is this here, this here, and this here, and what, what is a bigger picture of why I'm being shown these things. So, let's, um, this is Wednesday night um, Bible study and prayer time, so let's just parse this out together, Okay. Um, first of all, we are in a week of prayer uh, as a network, and this is part of seven weeks of prayer that we began last week, uh, leading up to our big gathering in Brazil that the Lord has established, and then shortly after that, the gathering for France. So, Yes, this is for Brazil, but it's more because of something that the Father is wanting to do in all of us in this particular season that we're entering into. God says that you have not because you ask not, and before God does anything, he looks for an intercessor. Everything begins with a voice, so it's not enough just to know this is what God is wanting, and then you just declare and decree it and toot the shofar. We have to enter into a point of deliberation, friendly deliberation. That's not a good word. Friendly commune with the Lord and ask him for the things that he wants to do. Ask him for the things that he knows we need 
in the going forth. And when we pray in diversities of tongues, um, we're praying the mysteries of God. We may be praying about things that we're going to be encountering on behalf of the kingdom in the days to come. We may be sowing into those fields of faith and belief. We may be being led by the Spirit to speak in the languages of heaven, um, the genos languages of what God put on this earth originally. We may be praying about things that he's wanting to bring forward in this new day. Um, so it's right that we hear ahead of time what God is telling us we're going to need and what he wants to do, but we, we need to spend time communing with him about it. And so thankfully, we felt led for these seven weeks, which again began last week when we're asking for the presence of the Lord. We, we, we see an alignment with God's seven spirits. Um, this week, we're asking God for an, an anointing, for a spiritual hunger and thirst among the people, uh, for a visitation of fire upon the pastors and leaders of churches and prayer groups, uh, that there would be an enhanced stirring and calling within intercessors and those especially called to be intercessors. And that's a tricky thing to say because I know that God created all of us to commune with him, to intercede. We do know that there are some who are particularly moved by that point of ministry. So when I say intercessors, I mean everybody. But I also mean those that are called to, to um, tend to the fire daily and who who embrace the burden and are an anchor of the burden of the Lord not to be a burden themselves see that's a that's a key thing if you get intercessors who are carrying the burden you want to make sure they're not a burden to everybody else um, and that can happen in a number of ways but if everybody's praying and everybody knows their divinely empowered role um the parts of the body function properly. I don't like it over the years when I hear intercessors berating others in the church for not doing what they feel should be being done. Now again, if people aren't praying at all, then they they do need to have an awakening. But we don't ever need for people to um, beat their chest, as it were, in Pharisaic fashion about how great they are in the Lord and how everybody else is not doing their job. I, years ago, uh, as a pastor, there would have been, every now and then be somebody that would come to me and say, Pastor, I really feel that, that I have a burden for this. Would you now tell everybody else this burden so that they'll do it too? That's ludicrous. That's just ridiculous. If God gave you a burden, do your work. Did you ever have somebody at, at, at your job who says, you know, I really think we should be doing this. How about you do it? Well, why don't you do it? 
why don't, why don't you set a tone and do this work? And if the boss notices that everybody else should be doing it, he'll com- or she will communicate it. So everybody should be an intercessor. Everybody. That means you, buddy. But some people have a heightened calling to anchor things down. You need a, a spiritual glue, as it were. And I've, I've seen this. Anybody who's been in ministry sees it. You've got to be really careful, though, that you don't take that as a point of pride and dominion over everybody else. So we're asking for the Lord to stir up intercession, for him to put his burden upon those that he has ordained to be like Anna in the temple, like Simeon, like Hannah. You know, certain people stand out, and we need them, even though they may not be prominently a part of leadership, or maybe they're not being touted from the pulpit, but they're going to serve no matter what. The enemy wants to take that out. He doesn't want this. Just like in the church when you read in the New Testament those passages that probably aren't underlined in the Schofield Bible, um, you, you need to have those that are pneumaticos. You need to have those that are saints. You need to have those that are lovers of Christ. And you need to have everybody else. But we kind of, and I've said this before, we kind of put in a church everything into a blender and make a first assembly goulash that everybody thinks everybody's the same. And we're not. Ask your hand to tell your foot that they're the same. They're not. If you want to be just a glob that just sits around talking about how great the hands and feet are when they haven't functioned in years, well, go on ahead and do that. You won't get very far. You take up space. You're in the way, and boy, are you in the way. So we need to have this burden of intercession. We need to have people that are stirred. That's this week in prayer to hunger and thirst after God and after righteous vision. And then on April 23rd, we put forth on that Sunday morning a message called The Power of Asking. And there we revisited the concept of Sha'al in the Old Testament. You can listen to that on the archives for yourself. I'm not going to reteach that now. But in this week, we are asking for God to especially anoint and call the individuals who are supposed to be mainstays for the going forth into these lands, for the breakthroughs that God has ordained. And we earmarked the passage when Joshua was put forward, not for Moses to lay hands on him and give him wisdom, but for Joshua to be put forward before Moses and the priest, 
Eleazar, so that he could be Sha'al before God, to gain judgment before the Urim of the Lord. This is in Numbers 27. You can read it. And then in 2 Kings 2.9, when Elijah was saying to Elisha, you know, my time of departure is coming. If you have anything you want to Sha'al, you better do it now. Now, arguably, Elijah should have still been there, and they should have both been Sha'aling. And we've taught on this before. Uh, what Elisha asked for was a double portion of the, his spirit, which is not, you know, we can teach this. I've even mentioned this. If you take the number of miracles that Elijah did, and you look at the number of miracles that Elisha did, including when his bones were in the sepulcher and the dead guy was tossed in there when the Midianites were attacking, and that dude <coughs> sprung to life, it's twice as many miracles. That is interesting, but that's not what that means. It's a double portion of your spirit, which meant you're leaving before your time is really complete. How do I say that? What doest thou here, Elijah? Go back and revisit that. Go back and re revisit what God really wanted from him. That's another message in itself. So Elisha was saying, respectfully, I've got to do what you were supposed to be doing as an elder in the land amongst all of these schools of the prophets. And I've got to do what I'm supposed to do as an Elisha in the land. You know, these guys in the schools of the prophets, they consider me a contemporary. If you don't believe that, look at the exchanges that happened. Look at the exchanges that happened. Don't you know your master's going to be taken away? I know. Hold your peace. Hmm. Is that underlined in your Bible? You know, Elijah was taken up. Maybe we should send out a, uh, a, a party to try to find him. Don't do it. You won't find him. I mean, what, what in the world do you think Elijah could have done with those people had he stayed? So Elisha needed the mantle, yes, but he probably had his own mantle. Um, but he wanted a double portion of the Spirit so that he would be equipped to do both facets of what God was really needing today. These are the days of Elijah. It's more than just a chorus. It's at the end of Malachi. And Elisha's are to be raised. Fathers to children, children to fathers. We, we know that. And that equates with, um, you know, the, the ministry of the, of the friend of the bridegroom, Elijah. But what was John really doing? He was making the way for the righteous nation to enter in, preparing the way of the Lord, which is Elisha. We need both of those. And I have to admit that, you know, at 65 years old, I'm feeling more responsibility-wise, even though I feel strong and well, thank God, and healthy, and I'm aggressive to the best of my ability and obeying the Lord, I don't feel any dumbing down. 
um, or wearing out, thanks be to God. But um, I see more of a role of Elijah for those of us who have been in this work for a while. And sadly, we don't have a lot of examples of that in the scripture because every time God wanted to do it, that was taken out. What do you mean by that, Pastor? These are old messages. Moses should have been in the promised land with Joshua. He wasn't. Elijah should have been in the land with Elisha. He wasn't. Saul, with all of his foibles and follies, should have been in the land with David. He wasn't. Well, he was, but then he wasn't. You know, you see examples of that um, in, in many different ways. And um, so the enemy wants to disrupt that Elijah and Elisha function. So all of you who are mature in the Lord, mature saints, you need to buck it up and be what you're supposed to be. And believe then for these other ones, and they may not all be young, who will come alongside. Because I can tell you right now, there is an art, an anointed art, to standing in your point of authority in the Lord while welcoming others that are coming alongside to function in their authority without there being jealousies and competitions. And these are all tactics that the enemy tries to exploit among the people of God. So we need for Joshua's to rise. We need for Elisha's to rise. And we need to be praying about that this week. Amen? So this coming Saturday first Saturday, is prayer throughout the network. People pray at different times of the day. We have folks in other nations, some nine hours apart from us, some seven hours, some two hours, some one hour. Um, you know, we, we, there, we can't just say, okay, at this time of the day, we're all praying, everybody get here. Maybe you do that where you are. What we do here is um, we say this Saturday, congregation, you come and you pray. And then whatever the Lord shows you, you submit those insights. And we compile all those from around the world and gain a picture of what God is saying. It's a really powerful thing. It's what God asked us to do. And it's not so much about the interpretation, even though you should interpret, but it's about the prayer. It's about the intercession. It's about the, the development that you as an individual need just by participating obediently in those prayer times. And um, I, I know that this coming Saturday, the first Saturday of May, um, a fast of feasting month, the fifth month, is important 
So we encourage all of you to pray, but our focus this week is on these two things that I've talked about. And, you know, if you say, where can I get a copy of these agreements? Well, those of you who've been listening should already have this. But you can easily go back through the archives and the attachments that are posted um, because we've put this out there. The, the prayer agreement for Brazil, and it should, I said for Brazil because that's the next thing on the agenda, but it's really for France and it's really for the going forward wherever God is leading us in this year. If France was first, I'd have said prayer agreement for France. So don't think, oh, that's just for Brazil, it's not for me. It's for all of us because God has asked for this. Wherever you live, you need these empowerments. You need these points of agreement. And then Sunday, April 23rd, that whole message on Sha'al, it was a revisiting of something that we taught over a decade ago. You should be living it. And I think it's interesting that this past Sunday, just a few days ago, um, God gave us a, a really unique message from Mark chapter 8, also John 9. And it was about it was it was about this in a certain way, what we've been talking about, because of how Jesus in Mark eight brought a point of deliverance, healing, and empowerment to the blind man at Bethsaida. And he took him out away from the city. He was privately with him there. Jesus laid hands on him, and it wasn't the hapto, it was the, um, it was the appeal into the depths of the hystemi of the area and within that man. And then he spat on his eyes the divine saliva. And uh, we're not advocating a new form of ministry, we're just saying this was the Lord. And again, this was Jesus' spit. Any more than we have to generate our blood when we sprinkle the blood. It was his blood. This was a divine manifestation, so don't any of you try to emulate it. What you do is you recognize that we have the victory in this way, and you believe for it. But that first healing was not a mistake. Jesus didn't need a do-over. Basically, what happened was he spat on the eyes. This is just a re. re reiteration, using that word that was only used there once in the New Testament, and it was about a deep measure of understanding and revelation, Oma. Maybe we should start, I'm not saying we're doing this, but maybe we should start an, an Oma prayer group. <laughs> he sees men as trees functioning, and he, he was really shown what God intended from the foundation of the world. That we would be as trees as righteousness. And that was what the divine saliva produced. And then Jesus laid hands on him again and his sight in the natural was perfected. What's this say for us? We need to be believing that as for us... 
that we would truly be functioning with the eyes of the Spirit and not focus everything in our lives on what's going on in the natural. That's what Jesus' main agenda was for this man. And that we would actually then function as trees of righteousness for the healing of the nations, generating the fruit of righteousness that is really an overcomer's crown. And this is important for us. And we need to believe for this, that when we go and pray, I listen, I've learned this, and many of you have too. You can go out and minister. You can have the meat of the word and you dumb it down or you try to make it so that people will receive it. But you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And you, you, can, you can feel the anointing and the presence of the Spirit of God in a place. And it's astounding to me that even with that, there will be many who, who just will not hear. Jesus faced that, didn't he? Maybe you don't have that underlined in your Bible either. He can heal a man or a woman. And on the very other side of that small synagogue, there are people over there griping and complaining or plotting to snuff him out. It's true. It's good reading. You should read it. It's really tragic, but it still goes on today. So what we really need is for this anointing of the Lord to, um, to absolutely earmark what it is we're called to do. We have to have it. Time is short. When we go for these divine appointment gatherings, we need to come away knowing that we have, through the power of the Lord, gained disciples for the kingdom. People that are really in it to win it. They're not just dancing in the river and then looking for the next stream to jump into. We need people to serve the king, to see individuals, placement as trees of righteousness functioning. That's what we need. And perhaps the Lord will even give us, I would love for this, heightened measures of being able to perceive who is really going to go on I mean, you've got to sow the seed out there, but it really would be nice to know this person here is going to stick. You say, oh, how can you say that? God loves everybody. Well, look at what Jesus said. Why would he say to Peter, Peter, I see that God is going to establish you as a rock. And you're going to have to stand and be converted and be crucial for your brothers and sisters to come along and follow. Do you have any indication of him saying that to Andrew? Or what about Matthew? Did he say that to Matthew? He didn't even say that to John, which seemed to irritate uh, everybody because 
they were jealous of John, but we don't have him saying that to him. So everybody has a role, and we need to have people who receive the message and who will say, yes, here am I, send me. And it would be nice to know from time to time out of this sea of people and it doesn't matter whether they fall on the floor or whether they speak in 30 different languages and whether you see angels around them. What matters is, will you go on? And it would be nice to know that in these days. So that miracle, it was interesting that at the beginning of this week of prayer, that's the revelation that God was giving us. I think that's that's a wonderful thing. And and I, I also, we said this yesterday on Saints Radio. You know, there's a passage that speaks about the Lord being in our midst. And he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, in the center. What does two or three mean? We've used that as an excuse for a small gathering of prayer or a depleted congregation. You've got to be really careful with that interpretation of what two or three is because if you make that a hard and fast rule in the way so many do, then that might indicate that God can't hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I don't see John running around and say, you know, I could really do a lot better work out here preparing the way of the Lord if I just had one more or maybe two. Because two put 10,000 to flight. I sure needed a running buddy out here. We don't see that, do we? So what was meant by that? Two or three was a quotient that was used regularly for corporate decisions. If you're going to bring an accusation, you better have two or three and not sons of Belial. Those, those are easily gained. Those SOBs are everywhere. And you've you got to be really careful with that because the enemy will always look for somebody to commiserate the misery that they are engendering. And then you get a group and where strife is, there's every evil work. So it doesn't just mean a democratic number. But two or three is a, a judgment that, yes, this is what God is doing. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So the two or three would indicate God is wanting to do this. The name of the Lord is wanting to be established here. And we know that this is a divine appointment. So where two or three are gathered together, symphoneo, They've put together this, they're, they're going to partner and everybody play their part. You can't have a symphony without an orchestration. The Lord, guide us. Let, us. let us do what you have put forward, what you're debuting. And when that's happening, the Lord says he's in the middle. And there's a study about the midst, too. He put a little child in the midst, and he said, unless you become as this little child, you won't enter into the kingdom. I know that. We've preached that 
we've got to be ready to become as little children in the midst. But I'm believing for our gatherings that aren't, aren't every gatherings, isn't every gathering that you go to minister something that God appoints? Well, it depends on your definition of a point. Sometimes you're supposed to just go somewhere in obedience in the economy of God. He wants seeds sown there. Jesus did this and nothing happened. He went into this place up in Chorazin and they therefore could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. What did he say? If you go into such a place and they don't receive your peace, shake the dust off and go. They're going to have accountability for what they do or do not do with that. So I guess in a way that's an appointment, but to me that's not a symphoneo. It's hard to get a flute player out of that group. <laughs> Tammy's laughing at that one. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to symphoneo, that's agreement. You, you're, you're there to debut an orchestra or an orchestral piece that the divine, uh, the divine God who we love has ordained for a moment, and you've got, you've got an, uh, you've got a corporate agreement of leaderships that are saying yes. This is what God's saying. That's a different environment than, no matter how powerfully God can move amongst the one or in a prayer group or whatever, it's all God. But when God says, this is a divine appointment to touch a nation, I've confirmed this. When you go as an orchestra of agreement, I guarantee you that I'm going to be in the center. I'm believing that we will see that manifested as we welcome our Lord from here on out in those kinds of settings, particularly down in Brazil that the power and the efficacy of Jesus will be evident as he ministers. He is the great intercessor. He is the baptizer. We need him to be moving amongst these people that they would receive the gift of tongues and diversities of tongues, that they would receive this burden to intercede with him at the right hand of the Father. This is Jesus in the midst we need him to be breathing upon the people to awaken that capacity within. Born again, the spirit born again within, only through his blood, but may he breathe upon them. We need him. That, that digestive, genetic identity, saliva of the divine to be upon the religious which which happened, as I said, in John 9, a whole chapter devoted, and then the ramifications of it spill out into chapter 10. It's the longest miracle, I think. Well, arguably, you look it up. I, but it's one of the longest miracles you'll ever hear written about. That's significant. And um, the, the guy with the mud in the eye, he's supposed to go to the pool of Siloam, and the place where the water for the tabernacle was, for you know, everybody come unto me and drink. Um, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, you know that, the eighth day. 
The religious world needs to be shaken, and Jesus can do that. The guy that had uh, the Lord, the guy was dumb and deaf and, and couldn't speak. Jesus led him out earlier in Mark, spat, put it on his eyes, uh, put it on his tongue, and the guy spoke. We need people to be able to hear and speak what God is saying with humility. We need Jesus to anoint that. We need people to have the saliva of the Lord, the identity of God, the digestive capacity of the Lord to be upon their eyes so that they will realize their true function as trees of righteousness. And there are other things that the Lord does in our midst. But this is a two or three gathering. This is a symphoneo. You know, we've got, we don't quite have the number of saints as we did when we first went on that first journey into Africa. We had over 40 then. We've got over 30 coming from other countries other than Brazil, and then you've got the saints down there. So the total number of ministers that we're going to have down there is probably, well, I don't even want to estimate a guess. What can God do through that? We, we need Jesus in the midst to orchestrate the divine conductor. He's the conductor. If we're symphonioing, who's the conductor? Jesus in the midst. He's got the baton. We need his power. We need his impartation. That's what I'm agreeing for this week. How about you? Can we agree for that? No, I know. I'm just blowing holes in. See, the beauty of the word of God is that it is alive. I can, I can use, hmm, let's see. I'm not really big with tools. I could use my cell phone to tap in a nail. I'd have to be precise, but I could do it. I could use my cell phone to prop open a window. Not a good use, but I could do it. Or I can use the cell phone for what I'm supposed to be using it for. And I think that the Word of God is obviously that way too. Yeah, God honors. Where two or three are gathered together in agreement. Look at the meaning of those words. You know, we we say agreement, and we just say, "Well, I'm I agree." You know, your your lazy son should have a job. Not that everybody that doesn't have a job is lazy. Well, we'll agree with old sister Esther that her son will get a job. Are we in agreement with that? Yeah, yeah. I don't think you need agreement for that. <laughs> I think that boy just needs to get up and get to work. Oh man, that's another story. Forgive me if Esther has a son. But these words are very specific and they're high-level meanings. Jesus meant what he said, but he honors other people just taking the word on face value. It's, it's, not, using, it's not using the scripture to the fullest capacity, but 
I'm sure that where two or three people are praying and there's a need and they're in agreement to bless somebody and God looks and hears that. I'm not saying he doesn't. I've seen it happen. But to me, continental meetings that are appointed by God to stir up an army for the end time in a large nation that will impact not only the continent of South America, but all of the Americas and the world, not to mention the spirit realm. That's a two or three gathering, and that's a symphoneo of many nations, many saints believing at what God is wanting to do in these end times. And as the old preacher said, believe you me, Jesus is going to be in the midst and I'm asking him for that, to do whatever he wants to do. If, if he is seen and everybody falls out in the spirit and are lost in God for hours, that's fine with me. That's one less message I have to speak. <laughs> and, to, and to have to uh, try to make difficult concepts translated and then understood among people who've never heard any of these things. If God comes in, great. In, in this way that I just said, we want him there, no matter what we're doing. But we need the ministry of Jesus in the midst to take people into the new, to let people, um, to let people know that he is, he is really calling them in this hour for such a time as this. We need that here am I, send me kind of, of thing. And um, I, I am just so blessed by the possibilities of what, what God uh, is, is going to be doing among us. And I, I'm blessed by the, those that will be remaining um, in, in the camp. You know, there are people that are going to be remaining here in Dallas. We need them here. And there are people in Florida. There are, there are people in Arizona. There are people in, in many places that, um, that are essential. You know, David, uh, David's words, keeping the, stu uh, the stuff. Um, ah, wow. This is just so powerful. It, it's just kind of overwhelming me here. We're, we're just in agreement. Wow. You know, you may want to re go back and read what Matthew 18 says. Um, because what Jesus is saying in that verse that I just paraphrased um, it's sandwiched by brothers trespassing and how often does my brother sin against me it's just interesting you just look at this you can tell what Jesus to some degree dealt with he says in Matthew eighteen fifteen, if your brother trespasses against you go and tell him his fault 
And then he comes into this business about binding and loosing and agreeing on earth as touching anything. Um, it shall be done for them of my father. Two or three gather together in my name. There am I in the midst of him. The very next verse, Peter bypasses all of that power and goes back to the brother that trans trespasses and says, how often do I have to forgive him? <laughs> I wonder if Peter was thinking about this forgiveness business, who he had in mind. All during the time Jesus was giving him the power to bind and loose, and Jesus being in the midst, the symphoneo, the Father doing whatever is asked, and in, in the same, the breath had not dissipated very far into the air, and Peter's back onto the thing of forgiving somebody. <laughs> How many times do you think God has said a powerful word, and somebody didn't hear any of the power, they remember some obscure and inane reference that, I'll say me, not the Lord, everything he said was fine, that just kind of got stuck in their earing, hearing, and, you know, they don't hear any of the PowerPoints. They want to talk more about this thing that you just mentioned in passing. Not that Jesus did that. It's amazing. It's just amazing to me. Scripture's so funny in some ways. You wonder how Jesus puts up with any of us. And I include us. I almost said any of you. Look, I'm the chief offender. Help me to hear. Um. And, and we need to be praying for Brazil right now because I know there were words that were given as warnings um, weeks ago in prayer times that the enemy would try to stir up dissension and competition and jealousies. We need to be standing against that too. Just be intercessors, okay? We don't have to have a prayer gathering here for you to hear from God. You can. You should be here when we have those gatherings. But you, saints, should be mature and mighty in the Lord. You should be communing with God in the night. You should be communing with God in your daily place. You should be walking with Elohim. You know that, don't you? When nobody's looking, are you still the mighty man or woman of faith and power that everybody thinks you are? We've got to be this way. And that's what God's been trying to hone within us. Now, you stay in the flow of authority. You stay in alignment. But you can be functioning before the throne on behalf of what God is doing. You know, there's another thing that uh, I think God is wanting us to see. And it goes back to what we shared on Sunday morning with the guy at Bethesda, or Bethsaida, Bethsaida, who Jesus led out from the city and spat on his eyes. What, what, I've been studying about what goes on around that lake. Well, it's actually a sea, but to me, I understand it's a sea. Sea of Galilee. It was a Sea of Tiberias or Knesseret or whatever you want to call it. It's been named by lots of these. On the coast near Gadara, it was called the Gadarean Sea. Look it up. There were, Jesus 
and the disciples crisscrossed that lake so many times. Sometimes he walked, sometimes there were storms, sometimes he'd encounter something over here, and he'd say, look, we need to relocate. And they go all the way back across the lake. It's a good thing these guys were fishermen. If you had me commanding a boat, they'd have probably capsized ten times. You know that one passage where Jesus is asleep in the hold of the boat and the storm comes before they land on the shore and deal with uh, the, the, the legion? It says that there were several other boats, smaller boats around him. wonder what happened to them. <laughs> I don't know. Those seasoned fishermen come and wake Jesus up. Don't you care that we're perishing? Maybe those other boats capsized and those those people, what do you mean those people? Those people came into the boat with them. Maybe that's why the boat was, was gaining water because the boat was lowering. I don't know, but look at it for yourself. There were other boats. Don't know what happened to them. They probably all capsized. That's why they didn't mention it. <laughs> oh, the word of God is so great. But you look up there at Bethsaida, and I think that Christians just take, to borrow a term from Les, my dear brother, they just take the low-hanging fruit. Oh, this is a healing verse. Oh, this is a verse that tells me I can ask for anything I want. Oh, this is a deliverance verse. Why do you think Jesus asked that demonized man what did he, why do you suppose he asked that demon what his name was do you think Jesus didn't know no he recognized that was an army of unclean ones and he wanted them to declare who they were that's formal surrender of an army do you remember when uh, George Washington and the French Rochambeau laid siege to Yorktown. Some of you weren't alive then. Others may have been. I don't know. You're looking pretty old to me. Um, and the British surrendered. And Corn Cornwallis, the British commander, did not come out to surrender his sword to Washington as protocol would have dictated. And the British wrote protocol. They certainly knew what it was. And Washington, it says, did not accept the sword. He said, tell Cornwallis that I am also uh, under the weather and can't accept his sword. He made one of his lieutenants accept the sword. When there was a surrender, the general of that particular contingent needed to surrender. And I think that's why Jesus asked for the name. But be that as it may, there was strategic warfare going on there. Everywhere Jesus went, why he did what he did, where he did it. And if you look at Bethsaida up at the north part of the Sea of Galilee, where the Jordan spills into it, if you look at um, Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum, Jesus judged all of them. This was terrain that 
Manasseh was originally given, and they botched it. And it goes over into Naphtali. You can, you can just look there. But basically, the eastern side of Galilee was known as the Decapolis. There were ten cities. And they people argue about what those ten cities are, depending on what you look at. Some go all the way up to Damascus as one of the ten. And it's not really important. Decapolis means ten cities. This was what Jesus sent that delivered man. You know, why did he send him to those 10 cities? Which in Decapolis wasn't a city, it was 10 cities. So all of the eastern, from the north all the way down, side that was basically Greco-Roman, that used to be Manasseh. Jesus sent this guy to all of those cities, basically to announce the unclean spirit army that used to control, that I used to be the headquarters of, has now been turned into deviled ham. Jesus Christ is Lord. This was, this was like a, after the Germans uh, surrendered to the Allies, they had to send some of their former commanders to go out and say to the pockets, especially where the Waffen-SS were in control, hey, we've surrendered. You know, I, I'm a general. If you, if you don't want to surrender, you at least obey this German protocol and you surrender now. I command you to surrender. I think that's an unseen thing of the spirit realm. It, why wouldn't Jesus want this guy going with him? I mean, this was a top 10 miracle. Boy, if it had been some of us, he'd have been making videos and saying, come see the guy that used to dwell in the tombs. Woo, we got to go see that. Maybe there's a river we can jump into. No, he was sending him out to these 10 cities all across the eastern side of, of Galilee. Gadara was down toward the southeast. And it was a region. You want to get some good arguments, read about how they said, well, Gadara wasn't actually on the coast. Well, it was the region. It's amazing how people will argue, Christian people, about nonsense instead of just believing the word and understanding, well, this is what it means. It's not where the city known as Gadara was. This was the Gadarene region. And right there on the coast, there was a graveyard. I saw this in Argentina in play. And it was a demonic post to incite fear for that whole region. Bethsaida was probably one of the cities that this man went and preached at. Well, I guess he probably got a really good reception up there. Can you imagine? But all of those cities now, all three of those, are, are really desolate. Archaeologists are having a hard time finding out exactly, archaeologically, where Bethsaida actually was. It's so desolate. It used to be a garden spot. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, you, you're cursed. Chorizon, they wouldn't even believe anything. Man, that... And then there are some people that extrapolate off today, and they say, well, all right, we're in timey teachers. So the Antichrist is going to be born 
in Chorazin, and then he's going to grow up in Bethsaida, and then he's going to make himself known in Capernaum. I read that in two different accounts by end-timey teachers. I don't see any indication of where that is. I'm not even going to argue with them about it. But for us as Christians, you know, that'd be a good, another good study for you. You can easily find this. You don't have to have, you don't have to invest the $9.95 in olive tree. You can just look up on the internet. Jesus crossings of the Galilee, of, of the Sea of Galilee. And look where he did. What You know, when the Pharisees were complaining to him in a place that was probably south of Magdala, and he got in the boat and went all the way back up across to Bethsaida, he did that to get away from those numbskulls. Interesting. It's, it's just so interesting. But you, you can take the low-hanging fruit and preach it loud and hard and get people that are shallow shouting. Not that you have to be shout, shallow to shout. But Jack Hayford, rest his soul, used to say that amen is the trumpet call of the righteous bigots. <laughs> there are people that don't really even listen to the pastor, but when he yells enough, or she yells enough and gets everybody hooting and hollering, they'll yell out, glory! You think, well, what was he actually saying? There are tactical things that Jesus did in tactical places. And we need to see it. I feel like there's going to be some dynamic miracles that happen. And key proponents of, of the enemy camp that God has earmarked are going to be converted and they're going to be sent out to testify into the places where their spiritual influence used to deal with darkness. That's what this man was sent to do. There was no city called Decapolis. He was sent to the ten cities and one of them was probably Bethsaida. It's very, very interesting. You know, I, it's just interesting. I advocated that our people look at the various miracles that Jesus did when he told people not to tell anybody and why he did that. It was not for the purpose of, you know, if you want a secret told, you just tell somebody this is a secret and they'll just spread it. And what I've learned is if somebody's a gossip, you don't have to let them know, don't tell this. They're going to tell it anyway. Now, they're, they're, these were all tactical things. And um, we need the wisdom of God to understand the things that are higher up in the tree, things that are in the roots of the tree, and function therein, not just grab the low-hanging fruit that pleases the, the, the hoi polloi of Christian circles. Well, anyway... How you like them apples?
<laughs> An hour is gone. Um, this is a week of prayer. Let's pray. I told you what the emphasis was earlier in this broadcast. I told you where to find the outlines. If you have the outlines, use them. There'll, there's a directive going forth for First Saturday. You may have received that already. If not, you will soon. I know because I wrote it. Monica is processing it. It's being sent out. But you don't need that to make plans to pray on Saturday. You'll get it. Just remember that we're praying about this. We need people to be stirred. We need those that God has directed as leaders to be impacted. Because the night is coming when no man can work. I'm sure the women will still be working. That's why Jesus said no man can work. <laughs> That's a joke, but it's probably true. I speak blessing over all of you. Thanks for joining with us today. And um, let's be in prayer, saints. Great days are ahead. We're already in them. Till next time, God bless. We'll see you in prayer this coming Saturday, but don't wait till then to start praying. Do it now. God bless and goodbye.